Welcome to Cocktails and Cadavers, the podcast where two tipsy girls tell you terrible stories all while forcing their friends to drink and listen along. I'm Avery Johnson. And I'm Sorella Womack. Today, our third and first guest, first and third guest, Hello. is Bailey Cruz. Hey. Making it all the way from Overland Park, Kansas. Olathe? I'm from Olathe. Olathe, Kansas. <laughs> our first topic is Edmund Kemper, also known as the co-ed killer. Who? Perfect. Let's find out. Yeah, that's perfect because a lot of people know about him. Okay, so our first drink is called the co-ed Kemper cocktail. It is tequila-based mm-hmm, because his apparent favorite drink was tequila neat. However, it is a Tuesday, so and we're Bailey's got to drive home. Pretty basic girls, so (laughs) we're drinking it with a lot of muddled fruit. (laughs) Um, So, Sorella, you want to take us away? Yes. So, homeboy's name is Edmund Amel or Emil, depending on who you ask, Kemper III. He was born December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California. So his mom is a super important character in the story and someone he puts a lot of blame on for what he did. Her name was Clarnell Kemper, and honestly, like, Her name was what? Clarnell. Clarnell. What a horrible name for just, like, a horrible lady. I didn't even know that was a woman's name. What is the origin of that? Clarnell! <laughs> um, and she was, by most accounts, neurotic, alcoholic, and she basically spent the majority of her life talking shit on her son because he reminded her of her husband, and she pretty much hated her husband. A lot of people assume she had a personality disorder, and nobody really doubts that she was a terrible mother, but most of the information that we have on her comes from Ed Kemper, so, like, you have to take it with a grain of salt. bias. Yeah, and, like, once I started researching this, I thought maybe it was not as black and white, mm-hmm. and but also maybe I'm just overthinking it, because I can't imagine how someone could be such an awful mother. You know, ever seen Psycho? That's true. Well, I guess that was a horrible son. Yeah, I mean, the so. mom was just kind of dead in the rocking chair, so. I don't think I've ever seen Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> Can't raise a child wow, wow, wow. dead in a rocking chair. That's true. So. Wow, yeah. That's actually a good, like, Put it on are you a good mother? <laughs> You're not dead in a rocking chair. She was married and divorced three times and pretty much spent most of the time she was married being paranoid that her husbands were going to leave her. Husbands? She had three. Oh, dang. Yeah, people like these are always multiple married. No, No, she's not not Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) So his dad was a World War II vet who then went on to test nuclear weapons in the Marshall Islands after World War II. So he came back. He was an electrician. And Clarnell, who I don't really know if she was working at this time, but she pretty much said it was a menial job and she thought he was like just a shitty guy all around, I guess. Gotcha. He, on the other hand, had nothing but nice things to say about her. He once said, quote, Suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with her. Oh, God. Unquote. That's actually a baller quote, though. <laughs> Should we get merch? Yeah. <laughs> First episode. <laughs> Um, and then there's another one. He said that being married to Clarnell affected him, quote, more than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front did. So, what did she do? <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, super happy in marriage, Norman Rockwell painting, the whole thing. Super happy family. Of course. Um, so in a shocking turn of events, these two lovely people divorced in 1957, and Ed Kemper was nine. So Clarnell took Ed and his two sisters, and they moved to Montana. So this was a turning point, I guess, because Ed pictured himself as super close to his dad, and everything I've read, like, supports that statement. But I think there are some red flags later on that I think it's just like Ed made it up. And he oh, it's thinks, like a figment of his imagination. He thinks he was super close to his dad and like if he hadn't been like dragged away from him, things would have been different. Oh. So everyone's like, oh, he loved his dad. I don't think so. Or I don't think his dad loved him. So Kemper was a big guy. As an adult, he stood at six feet, nine inches and weighed How almost. his dad? His I mom don't know because his foot. yeah his mom was that's nuts for a woman yeah, yeah six foot I think his dad was also very large I think his whole family was very large because later his grandparents come in like his paternal grandparents and they're like big bulky people too so he also was super smart he had an IQ of one forty five which I looked it up and one forty genius right yeah. So I think it said something like 1% of the population has above 135. And oh, and then even less is above 140? Yeah. I think that's where That I kid went. from Modern Family is like 140-something, too. What's the average? What kid? Uh, Luke. He's <laughs> part really? of Yeah, he's part of Mensa. Ooh. Uh, I think average is like 101. Should we? Michael Orr for The Blind Side had 80. Should we, on this podcast, take an IQ <laughs> <laughs> no, because I can't take that kind of hit. <laughs> From a young age, he displayed certain characteristics that a lot of violent offenders exhibit. For example, animal abuse. He also cut heads and hands off his sister's dolls. He was like mutilating Barbie dolls, I guess. His mom described him as a real weirdo. My mom, when I started listening to emo music, she was probably like, oh, a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, if you're, like, a parent in that, do you think, oh, my son's going to grow up to be a killer? Or do you just think, oh, my son's just weird? I think you think my son's just weird. I think in um, when I have a kid and my kid, if my kid starts doing this, I personally be like, he's a serial killer. Just because I'm so interested in that stuff. But if you're, like, a normal parent and you see this, you'd be like, oh, my kid's just, like, kind of a quirky dude. Yeah. Such I mean, an odd duck. That's why I blood. think... Yeah. <laughs> Like, once we get through all the facts, I want to have a conversation about his parents because I think his mom knew. Like, she not knew that he was doing it, but knew that he the potential was there. His mom is, like, done with it. She's, like, she's worried about his sisters. He's got two sisters. He is insinuating that he's going to molest them, and she's worried about it. She thinks he's going to harass them. So he locks – she locks him – in the basement during like the nighttime so he sleeps in the basement on a cot and all he has is a light bulb like a single light bulb hanging from the ceiling on with a string in a cot and that's where he spends like half his day and they let him out in the morning for dinner and then he goes back down like a dog literally so he compares it to heaven and hell saying quote my mother and sister would go upstairs to bed where I used to go to bed, and I had to go down to the basement. An eight-year-old child had a tough time differentiating the reasons. I'm saying oh, so he was eight when that he happened. Was eight, yeah. 
So then he says, I'm saying I wanted to kill my mother since I was eight years old. I'm not real proud of that. So he's already planted the seed. Crazy as hell. Yeah. So his mom would like taunt him, which I mentioned earlier, comparing him to his father and saying that he would be equally unsuccessful with women. Now I'm going to tell you a fact that you may not want to know, but it's kind of important to the story. So he had it in his mind from his mom that he's going to be bad with women. He's like socially anxious about it. He's a disaster. He also has a small penis. When when he's six foot nine, it looks even smaller. So poor guy is like really struggling. He's he's anxious about becoming like having a male female relationship, which there's a quote where he pretty much says he's like terrified of the possibility of like having a male female relationship because he knows he'll be, he'll be unsuccessful. As a child, his favorite games to play with his sisters were gas chamber and electric chair, where his sisters would tie him up and then pretend to flip a switch and he would like convulse. Okay, but those are also his sisters. Yeah, playing along. Yeah. Which I think, okay. There's Especially, isn't one older? So many one's more older, fun one's games to play than gas, gas chamber. chamber. God. I know. Even electric chair, like why? I, I, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even put my Barbies in the gas chamber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think his sisters are a little weird because the oldest one, who I think is the one that testified, he had two near-death experiences, both caused by his oldest sister. The first one was when she tried to push him in front of a moving train. And then the second one is where she pushed him into the deep end of the pool and he almost drowned. The pool, I could see being an accident. But then she tried to push him. Yeah, the train, train. Is, the train <laughs> is damning. Older sisters are just like a whole other species. They're bossy and they're mean. That's me. 100%. But um, I don't think I would ever be like so mad at my sibling that I would push him in front of a train. Him. Also, I cannot think of any time that me and my siblings have been by a train. <laughs> um, and then, then I tried to pull either. Yeah. So. Uh, but then again, like if you're an older sibling, like. If you go into the deep end, that could be an accident. Whereas, like, you cannot pretend that you didn't. Yeah. And I think the pool thing happened after the train. Oh, okay. So, that makes more sense. So, let's fast forward to the early 60s. Ed is 15, and he runs away to California to live with his dad. But his dad had remarried and had a new family. He had, like, a stepson. And I like to imagine this as, like, the scene from Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. When Carmen goes to spend the summer with her dad and finds out he's marrying that Stepford wife, you know. I have to be honest. I have You've not never seen, seen. No, I haven't seen it in so long. Gosh. Is that America Ferreira? Yes. Okay. He's America Ferreira and Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. But this time, instead of his dad trying to make amends and the mom being okay, his stepmom says, you have to send Ed away. He's giving me headaches. So, like, just his presence was giving her, like, migraines. So, his dad sent him to live with his paternal grandparents up in, like, Northern California on this ranch in the mountains. So, this is why I don't think Kemper and his father were really as close as he'd, like, have us believe. Because not only, like, did he send him away, but you, like, heard what he said about Clarnell. Right. Literally compared her to World War II. But he let her take his three children to Montana. Yeah. So, if you felt that way, like, why wouldn't you fight for your children? So I think his dad was also just kind of a dick. Yeah. So he goes to live on this ranch, hates it. He describes his grandfather, who's Ed Sr., the first Ed, 
as senile and said that his grandmother, quote, was constantly emasculate, was constantly emasculating me and my grandfather. I think, is it possible that Kemper had two horrible maternal figures in his life? Yes. Or is it possible that he was just, had such authority? A distaste for authority? Yeah, and maternal figures in general. Like, I think his grandma was probably just a strict woman, and he reacted badly to it and kind of projected his emotions onto her. And he was, I think she was probably just a normal grandma. But. Uh, yes and no, because, if, I mean, if your grandson's killing cats and you like, literally living on a ranch, like, there's only so much of yeah. normalcy you can keep up. And I guess someone, I read somewhere that he used to like to play with, like, the guns they had around the ranch, and, like, mm-hmm. it was a ranch where there was a lot of guns. So his grandpa literally gave him, like, a rifle for Christmas when he first got there. And the grandma was, like, almost, I don't know if she was scared of him or what, but she would take the guns with her when she went out to the store. Okay, then 100% it was him, not her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think, like, he's just saying, oh, she was, like, emasculating to me, and I'm like, no. You yeah, just... for a better reason. He's one of those people that just puts all the blame on someone um, else. Exactly. It's like, everything we have about his grandparents are, is from him. Because right. he gave so many interviews after he was arrested. He said, quote, I couldn't please her. It was like being in jail. I became a walking time bomb and I finally blew. So this is where we get to his first murders. So he said, I knew long before I started killing that I was going to be killing, that it was going to end up like that. The fantasies were too strong. They were going on for far too long and were too elaborate. So he knew this was like where he was going to end up. So, August 27th, 1964, Kemper gets in a fight with his grandma about something and storms off. He grabs the gun his grandfather had bought him for Christmas, and he walks back into the kitchen where his grandma is sitting at the table. He shoots her in the back of the head with the gun that his grandfather bought him, and then again, twice in the back. So, he never shoots her, like, head on. Then he goes outside, and he waits for his grandfather to come home. His grandpa had been, like, grocery shopping, when he returns, Ed shoots him as he's getting out of the car. He then became became paranoid that someone was going to come up to this remote ranch in Northern California and find out what he did. He's like freaking out. He said, I sensed everyone in the world was coming to get me. I knew anybody that came up there that gave me a funny look, I would have blown their brains out. If I had been in a city, I would have been a mass murderer at 15. And he's... So he was 15 when he killed his grandparents. Yes. And he knew, like, it was wrong. And he has, like, a history throughout the story of becoming paranoid. So he calls his mom, which I find interesting, and confesses what he did. And she urged him to call the police and turn himself in. When the grandparents took him in, she told her ex-husband, don't be surprised if you wake up and your parents are dead one day or something like that. Oh, my God. So So she 100% knew that he was a psycho so he turns himself in and during the interrogation he told police he just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma and when asked why he killed his grandfather he said he wanted to spare him the pain of knowing that his wife was dead and like that's such a dick move it's so unnecessary i just i mean who am i to judge but like i don't think he needed to kill his grandpa no i know i feel like the grandpa's collateral damage that didn't need to happen The two murders landed him in the criminally insane unit. So he's in this mental institution. He's 15, and he's just killed his grandparents. And they diagnosed him with personality trait disturbance, passive-aggressive type. 
is no longer a thing. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it would be. <laughs> okay, guess how long he was here. What do you mean here? Four days. Come on, Bailey. He killed two Four people. Four months. <laughs> Four months. He escaped. No. No. Who? <laughs> He's not like Houdini. <laughs> He's 6'9". He can't escape. <laughs> Seven years. Five years. Damn. So five years because he's a straight up high functioning sociopath. Like he became the model patient. All the psychiatrists loved him. They said he was great. He was hardworking, yada, 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 whatever. He tricked everyone into thinking that they had cured him when in reality he had like these jobs where he would um, administer exams to other inmates. And everyone in this facility was either a violent offender, a murderer, a rapist. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a facility full of, like, the worst of the worst. And this is where he spent his, like, adolescence. So he would administer exams to these people and then carry them back to the psychiatrist, and he had access to all the resources and all the materials, and he learned, basically, what the psychiatrist used to diagnose who was sane and who was insane. And then he learned that and modeled his behavior after that. So they literally thought they cured him. So stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Played yourself. <laughs> Congratulations. You <laughs> played yourself. <laughs> okay. So they let him out in 1969 on his 21st birthday. So, like, can you imagine how lit he was getting on his 21st birthday? Yeah. Not at all because he is conservative as hell. Oh. Boring. <laughs> so he went, after he was released, he went and lived with his mom, which was Again? Yeah. It was literally, like, the one thing the psychiatrist recommended. They're like, yeah, you're great. You're perfect. Don't go live with your mom, though. And he's like, I'm going to go live with my mom. Um, can't tell me what to do. (laughs) Yeah. I want to say, like, maybe they're onto something here. Yeah, seriously. Um, But they also are the ones that, like, let him out. So they're, like, one for one at this point. But, yeah, at the time, this facility housed 1,600 patients. And there was 10 psychiatrists. So I think maybe they saw. Can you imagine how haunted that place is now? Literally. So I'm going to cut them a little bit of a slack, but. Yeah, they were slightly (laughs) undermanned. (laughs) So given the complete lack of oversight that allowed this guy back into the world, Ed is back with his mom who managed to remarry and divorce while he was locked up. See, here's the thing. You know single people. Both of you guys are single. Rub it in. Sorry. This woman Found three men to marry her. Exactly. That's what I think about these women that like kill their husbands. Yeah. By like poisoning the black them. widows. Like and they she, had five husbands. Five husbands, and they're like the past four of them are dead. And I'm like, how? Like, ooh, her husband <laughs> mysteriously disappeared. Exactly. That's the On the day me. that he had two overlapping <laughs> life insurance policies, exactly. like, I just don't. Where are they meeting people? I just want to know. Like, is there like a farmers only for like? Crazy low standards. Christian mingle. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Is farmers only already the crazy low standards place? It's possible. Just every crazy person is married. And how did she get married and divorced in five years? She like she managed to find someone to marry her. Get yeah, get married, and then how long were they married for? You know, she literally found someone to date her. Convinced him to propose to her, had a wedding with him. So she's divorced, but she's living back in Santa Cruz. And she works at University of California, Santa Cruz as an administrative assistant, where 
everybody says she was very popular. She was helpful to the staff and students. Like, she was well-liked at work. But Ed fucking hated her, so who are we to trust? I don't know. So, I'm going to set the scene. UC Santa Cruz was established in 1965. So before this, Santa Cruz was like a lazy retirement town, surfer town. 1965 is really late for a yes, state it was college. Like, it was like a add-on kind of. What was Nebraska? 18. So was Ooh, KU. Something. KU was like 1860. 1880, or 1865. Well, they did like probably University of California, and then they did University of California, LA, University of California, da da da. Like they have like Berkeley. No, that's not. Like, you see Berkeley from the true. class of 1901. Really? In Nebraska? Yeah. And then they have another bench from 1903. Can you sit on it? Yeah. No, the, the benches are just, are just rubble. So right outside, right outside the library. Jesus. Okay. So, 1965. University is established in this town. Before that, not a lot going on. But then all these college kids start, you know, flocking to UC Santa Cruz and this is like at the height of like the flower power movement it's very hippie like this is like a huge contrast to like how the town was a few years prior and how the country was a few years prior and he like at the time when he got locked up the beatles biggest song was i want to hold your hand and when he got out it was come together i gotta tell you i know little to nothing about the beatles Beatles. if you told me one direction i would get it jonas brothers got it but Okay. The Beatles, I'm a little lost on. Ask me about Elton John. It oh, was, yeah. It was. That's what makes you beautiful. Uh-huh. And then it was like... Story of my life. No. Or Steal more. Steal My Girl. Steal My Girl. It was yeah. totally Steal My Girl. So, like something off the last album. Last Last or Last with Zane? Last Last. Something oh, so a little full. edgier. Wait. Yeah. And that's not really edgy. No, we can't know. sing. Yeah. We There's no not, way we can afford we the rights for One Direction <laughs> songs right now. <laughs> well, we didn't know we needed headphones. We don't know anything about copyright. Yeah. Uh, to all of our listeners, us. we don't have headphones. So let us know if you can tell. <laughs> Hit us up on our Patreon. Send us a donation so we can buy headphones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is like the age of Aquarius and Ed Kemper is just out of his fucking league. He went away during a conservative time, and now everyone's, like, going brawless, and it's, you know, Vietnam's getting ready to happen. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. He has no idea what's going on. And he said, like, "Um, when I got out on the street, it was like being on a strange planet. People my age were not talking the same language. He is already, like, just lost socially. And And he's 6'9". Yeah. The thing is... Being that tall isn't a problem, but it's definitely not a like an easy way to approach someone. You yeah. know, like imagine someone who's six nine, they couldn't they couldn't stand under that arch. Yeah. You know? And like three hundred pounds, six nine, that's nuts. What's he gonna tell people? Like they're like, Oh, what'd you do last Christmas? I was in a fucking state institution. Yeah. He can't talk about anything. Why were you there? I killed my grandparents because mommy and daddy didn't love me. Like there's he has not he has no conversational skills common ground with like any Any, normal human so now it's the 1970s he got out like december 1969 it's 1970s ed's living with his mom he's going to community college and he's going by the nickname big ed which is fitting and he (laughs) wants to become a cop but apparently he's too big to be a cop 
Which not, I've tried. Not the killing doesn't get in the way. It's yeah. Just he literally has like a juvenile record that at this point has not been expunged. So that is interesting because now if the cops didn't know about his past, then is the too big thing an actual thing or were they just like creeped out by him and they made it up because i tried to google if like there were size limits and there were like minimal size limits no but like think about it like think about a crown vic back then a guy who's six nine cannot fit in one of those cars that's true and it's approaching like a car you pull over yeah and not even that like like they would put them now in an suv that's true so that was the excuse he couldn't be a cop because he was too big and it like ruined his life so but just because he couldn't become a cop doesn't mean he couldn't hang out with cops and that's literally what he did for fun he'd go to this bar called the jury room which was a popular like place for cops to hang out and he just like befriended them he do you think it was named the jury room before it became a yeah before the cops started showing up or did the cops start showing up because it was named the jury room or was it like completely serendipitous oh okay yeah yeah that's actually a better call Wow, we should open a bar by City Hall called The Jury Room. That's actually a foolproof plan. Yeah. Dibs. TM, TM. Well, me and Christian were talking about opening, like, a restaurant or something in Independence called The Garden of Eden, because that's where the Mormons think The Garden of Eden is. Literal Independence, Independence Missouri. Missouri. Yeah, a lot of meth. That's actually a really good restaurant name. TM. <laughs> Dibs. <laughs> So he was like, Ed was a huge John Wayne fan and he would like mimic and do impressions of him. And he just watched a lot of like cop shows and he basically kind of like styled his personality off of those. And that's why the cops loved him so much. He was like fun and charismatic, whatever. I'm thinking if he could do that with police officers, why was he never able to do that with women? Like watch a romantic comedy or something and mimic that. But wasn't he like a involuntary celibate kind of thing like they so they consider this thing it's called incels now and a lot of them i'm sure you've heard them like um like mass murderers usually are called them basically no one wants to sleep with them and they start getting this complex where they despise women as a whole for not sleeping with them that guy that bagel guy that yelled at everyone in the bagel restaurant do you see that no oh yeah yeah the short guy he's probably an incel (laughs) He's like, gonna sue us. Anger. Who threw a child, a random child, off a balcony in a mall because women weren't going out with him? Yeah. Like, he just picked that random child and threw him off. I mean, the child lived. Wait, wasn't that Mall America? I think so. Yeah. This could be one of those situations because he like definitely had like a desire to have relationships with women, women, but he was so like inadequate and like. But wait, it was his own like. Well, that and the fact that he was raised to basically be a serial killer. Yeah. But, yeah, so so I think he was, like, an involuntary celibate that created this whole mindset that women won't ever, it'll never happen for him or something like that. So they have to be dead for him to get them. Right. And he, like, talks about, like, the dead bodies as possessions and, like, he's very, he's just fucked up. So. Silence of the Lambs bullshit. (laughs) Bailey has a second drink. Hey. I apologize to all of the people I've made fun of on Bar Rescue because I am as not as good with a shaker as I thought I would be. So this is a formal apology. I can't even taste the tequila. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I did. I did. I'm a little worried about you. <laughs> okay. Back to Ed Kemper. 
Okay. So he's working at the California Department of Transportation, which allows him enough money to move out of his mother's house, which is like his goal. And he moves in with um, just like some, he had friends, like he had a lot of friends. So he moves in with one of his friends. The apartment he's living, he shares it with somebody. And basically he moves out of his mother's house and he still can't escape her because she's calling him all the time and dropping by unannounced. Like she's still just kind of like. She's a helicopter bug- mom. Yeah, she's bugging him. And I she's think. She's nosy. Yeah, maybe she knew like she was trying to keep tabs on him because she knew he was like fucking insane. So he has like one unsuccessful relationship with it within like this period. So the 16 year old student and I looked it up. Wait, wait, she was 16? She was 16. He got released when he was 21, so he's at least 21, 22. She's 16, high school student. And when I looked up the age of consent in California during this time, it doesn't even matter. It's been 18 since 1913. So he was... How is she alive still? Like, do you know know. anything about her? No, there's not a lot about her at all. I think they probably went on, like, one or two dates, and he was just so And he blew it out of proportion? He just didn't know how to talk to women at all. I guess, but a 16-year-old? That's yes. not even like... And he's 5'9". Yeah, so she's probably like, what, 4'8"? Okay, I don't know how 16. tall people she's are when they're 16. 6'9". <laughs> oh, yeah, he's 6'9". Did I say 5'9"? Yeah. She's probably 5'. No, 5'9 is tall. Say it again. That's taller okay. than me. Yeah, that's yeah. really tall for a girl. But he's 6'9", dating a... Six, I don't know. Let's how say she's let's say average, she's five, probably five five. Five four, five five. Regardless, sixteen year old. With Ed Kemper. Three hundred pounds. Yep. And sit on her. She'd be squished. Yeah. Literally yeah, she would no literally idea. die under him. That's probably why it was an unsuccessful relationship. Oh, not that. <laughs> the fact that she was sixteen years old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's a lot of different First lines that make it he unsuccessful. Also is just super awkward. He he's just like yeah, but awkward men get girls all the time. That's like what the whole like video game yeah, lifestyle like, is about. Awkward in an endearing way, not awkward in a. I don't know how to be. Not awkward. In a, I, I killed I my grandparents at fifteen. Awkward. Exactly. So during this time, he was like he bought a motorcycle and he was riding it. Got hit by a car and won fifteen thousand dollars in a settlement. He uses that money to purchase the 1969 Ford Galaxy, which is where he did most of the killings. So it's the 70s, he's got a car. There are so many people hitchhiking, like it's not even funny, like just millions of kids around the country hitchhiking, which I don't understand. My thing is I would never, I would rather walk 50 miles than hitchhike. hitchhike. And on the flip side, I would never pick up a hitchhiker. No. Ever. My dad picked up a hitchhiker like a few years ago. They Why? Were, they were like biking through the mountains and it was raining. Okay, that's different. Yeah. They were, However, like, would I still do that? It? Probably not. Probably not. But like. If I had a pickup truck, I'd put him in the pickup. Yeah. In the rain. This yeah. was just like a common occurrence. Like it was normalized and people did it every day. So like I can't wrap my mind around it because it's not anything I would ever feel safe doing. Right. Girls, you know, 14, 15 years old are doing this and are fine with it. So this is where we're at. Right. This is how people get murdered. Exactly. That's why the 70s was like the... The, like, The prime time of, of serial yeah, killers. Yeah, and I read something that said also, like, the 70s is very, like, um, big with, like, the serial killer. Like, there's so many serial killers in the 70s because 
there was a hatred for like the flower hippie movement and so that hatred like correlates to serial killing and like the easy access to hitchhikers and kids who are so trusting because they're you know probably on lsd or something so right so 70s he's watching all these people getting picked up and he's like i can do that this is a good way for me to like socialize and like learn about kids my age and like make friends yada yada and he picks up as many as 150 hitchhikers and never hurts them he's just like an uber driver practically for free yeah (laughs) that's another thing like he's just doing this um but then like after a while he realizes he's never going to be on the same page as these people he's picking up because he spent so much of his life around older people and around crazy people why doesn't he try hitchhiking Who's going to pick him up? He's yeah, that's so true. That's so true. I feel like you can't fit in my car, dude. <laughs> so he's like, I don't know how to talk to these people. And like, how do you apply a relationship? Like, based on a conversation you had with a hitchhiker is not going to be the same conversation you have on a first date. Like, right. he's basically realizing it's no, no matter what he does, it's not going to help. So these are also like the people who are hitchhiking are also the girls that his mom is over here telling him, like, you're not good enough for you'll never get like. Because she works with all these girls at the university. She, you know, is when he's like, why don't you introduce me to any girls? She's like, why would I ever do that? You're awful. Like, whatever. So he begins, like, compiling essentially like a murder kit in his trunk with, like, blankets. He starts with, like, bags, knives, handcuffs, blankets. And one of his cops down at the jury room gave him, like, a pair of handcuffs and, like, a, like a what do they call it when you're, like, a starting police officer? cadet or something yeah like they gave him like a fake little like in training badge for him to play around with so like he got handcuffs from police officers and then ed said during this time quote i'm picking up young women and i'm going a little bit further each time it's a daring kind of thing first there wasn't a gun i'm driving along we go to a vulnerable place where there aren't people watching where i could act out and i say no i can't and then a gun is in the car hidden and this craving this awful raging eating feeling inside this fantastic passion it was overwhelmingly. It was like drugs. It was like alcohol. A little isn't enough. So he's like pretty much knows that this is what he's going to do. He's like prepared for this. Right. And with the exception of his grandparents, his kills all take place in an 11-month 11, 11 span from May of 72 to April of 73. So there, he doesn't really do this for that long. Right. He just really racks up the numbers then. Wow. And like really, not to be like, oh, he didn't kill that many people. But if you take out his grandparents, which he did when he was 15, he only killed eight people. Yeah, but eight's still high. It is a lot of people. It is a lot of people. Yeah, because if, I thought you were going to say three. No, 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 <laughs> so no. I kind of set the bar low on that one. <laughs> so he later said that he would get the urge to kill after him and his mother got into a fight. He'd go out looking for women, pick them up. So he said he decided to, quote, I decided to mix the two and have a situation of rape and murder. No witnesses and no prosecution. If I kill them, you know, they couldn't reject me as a man. So that's why he's doing this. Oh. Yeah. So his first pair of co-ed victims were Mary Ann Pesky and Anita Lucheza. It's what is co-ed for? Co-ed is like co-educational, like yeah. male, females. It was oh, like what people called like... Um, like co-ed dorms. Yeah. Yeah, so then like why is he the co-ed? Like killer? the college killers. You so will find out. That's true because he's out. really only killing, he's only killing women. I think co-ed, co-ed was a name for like gr- college when girls. girls were allowed in. Yeah, oh. I think it was named for like college girls. Because people oh. were like, oh, that's such a hot co-ed. Oh, interesting. 
I don't know where that's from, but I, it's from something. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, it's not like co-ed PE. Yeah, he was literally Ew. just women. What? Do you have co-ed oh, PE? Went to public school. Yeah, of course. Ugh. You went to an all-girls school. You're not going to have co-ed PE regardless. I don't think I ever... I had I, Actually, I failed gym in eighth grade. Because they had us take tests. Hold on. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I had to take a paper tests for bowling. Bowling? Not even a real sport. Not, you can't even sweat when you do that. Yeah. Well, I sweat because I sweat all the time. But <laughs> for bowling. And of course I'm failing it because I'm like, it's bowling. Is it based off like a bowling score? I have like we bowling. Oh, we bowling would be sick as a thing, as a gym thing. No, she used to have to make us set up. We'd stand on the half court line. We'd set up our Wait, own Wait, you didn't pins. even go to a bowling alley? No. Oh, I had to do that too. Yeah, like this rubber ball. Yeah, it was like the dodgeball balls. balls. Yeah, <laughs> the bowling ball's a weapon. <laughs> not in, a, you know not in an all-girl Catholic school. <laughs> well, public school, you know, like future co-ed killer. going to take that True. ball, do something with it. So... Back okay. on the co-ed killer. Back to the co-ed killer. His first victims were Marianne Pesky and Anita Lucheza. It's May 7th, 1972. He's 24, and these two girls are 18. They're two students at Fresno State. They're two students at Fresno State. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm trying so hard. Okay, so they're hitchhiking to visit their friends. Well, do you want to keep that in, or you yeah, want to go I again? I want to keep that in. Okay. I want people to know what I'm putting up with. Okay. <laughs> So they're just like going to go visit friends. So Mary Ann was like more comfortable with hitchhiking because she had done it around Europe and around the United States. And she was uncomfortable getting into Ed's car. She had a bad feeling like right off the bat and didn't want to do it. But her friend who really didn't have a lot of experience hitchhiking was like, she jumped in the front seat and was like, let's go. And so Mary Ann like climbed into the back seat because she didn't want to get separated from her friends. And it took him a while to convince her to get in the car. She knew it. And that car, you couldn't get out of the car unless the person in the front, like, because the, yeah, Yeah. and the seat went forward. Yeah, and she was not comfortable with it. He said about her, she was a haughty young lady stuck up, a valley girl. She was playing Little Miss Distant with me. She had hitchhiked through Europe and she'd done it in the United States. She was good at it and she didn't want to get in the car. Then Ed drove them around for like an hour. I don't exactly know where they were going. I think they were going towards like Berkeley. Drove them around for an hour, and then he stopped in this rural area, which he was familiar with because he worked like with the highway department. He had made some modifications to his car where he was able to keep it locked from the inside. He did this, and then he pulled a gun on them, forcing Anita into the trunk after handcuffing Marianne. Damn. I would yeah. feel awful if my yes. friend was like, no, and this guy's a serial killer. You're and then in, you get in the, the trunk, car. and she's out there with him. Like, there's nothing you can do. So he undresses Marianne with the intent to rape her, but was so like unsure of himself and he had no prior sexual experience because his only relationship was that six-year-old girl and it never right. got anywhere. He was like unsuccessful, he couldn't do anything, like he just became so enraged and he started stabbing her. Shit. And he slit her throat and he said like he would stab her and then she would kind of like turn to try and get away and she was facing him like front side and he wouldn't stab her breast because he was so embarrassed. like. He was just so inept, like, I can't even describe how inept he was. He accidentally, like, grazed her breast before this happened and apologized for it. He was like, whoops, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Like, and he was embarrassed about it. Meanwhile, he's getting ready to rape her and kill her. So he's just kind of a strange character. 
But he obviously knows right from wrong in that mm-hmm. moment. Right. But yes. then he still ch- like chooses to act upon it. Because he's embarrassed. After he kills Marianne, he thought, and this is like a direct quote, shit, now I've got to kill the other one. Oh my god. So he opens the trunk and Anita asks, like, what's happening? And Ed says that Marianne got smart with her, so he hit her and now she's got a bloody nose and Anita needs to come help. So Anita's like yeah, trying to crawl out of him. Yes. Of course, like, he's not the one that handcuffed her and locked her friend in the trunk. Right. So, she's trying to get out of the trunk to, like, go help her friend, and he stabs her and kills her, and she, like, falls back into the trunk, and he shuts the trunk door. And at this point, he starts panicking, because he had just killed two people, and he can't find his fucking keys. And he's thinking that he locked his keys in the trunk with the dead body, and how is he going to get them out without having to call someone and then explain the dead body two dead bodies in his car so he freaks out and starts running he had the gun like tucked into his jeans though and it slid down his pant leg and he tripped over it did it go off (laughs) no so he would have been convenient (laughs) loses his keys freaks out starts running trips over his gun this somehow like knocks some sense into him and he realizes the keys are in his back pocket so he takes Marianne. Honestly, I've been there with the keys <laughs> situation. <laughs> Fair. So he throws the other body back into the trunk with her friend. And um, he drives home. And on the way, he gets pulled over by a police officer. And the police officer... But he's friends with all the police officers. Well, he's also like in a rural area. Like, I don't know how far away. So I don't know if he knows this police officer police officer pulls him over and looks in his trunk and arrests him and that's where the story ends so we only know about those two murders? no just kidding literally the police <laughs> officer is like you have a broken tail like go get it fixed and he said okay thanks cool my question is there has got to be blood all over him all over this fucking car is that white male privilege well they didn't he killed the other girl, Anita, in the trunk. The trunk. So the blood would be in the trunk there, and maybe he wiped it off. But his clothes would be covered. Yeah, I think it would like what side? Like if the girl who was outside was stabbed on the passenger side. I think Marianne the- was like far from the car because if Anita had, to, Anita would be able to see her to get out because that's why she like thought the nosebleed story was real. So yeah. I think she was probably like ten feet from the car. I still think if you're. Stabbing someone, blood spatter is a thing. It has to be. Like, it's got to be, like, in your nose, in your ears, on your in your. Well, no, I think that's too much. I think it would at least be on his shirt. Well, he got, he basically was like, see you later, go fix your taillight. If the guy had just, like, been like, let me do a random check. I wonder if it was dark. Did they have flashlights at that point? In the 70s? (laughs) In the 70s? I don't know. Should we phone a friend? The 1770s. 1770s. They're walking up to the (laughs) car with like an oil lantern. No, a candlelight on the little hook, like Scrooge. I don't think there were even cars in the 1770s. No, definitely not. The carriage. So, he had a thing for Marianne after knowing her for like literally five seconds. But she's dead. Yeah, he was in love with her. Oh. Yeah. So he. Probably because she rejected him. Yeah. Hard to get situation. He said she was very pretty. Like, he always, like, had a reaction to pretty girls. And he said, I was quite struck by her personality and her looks. There was almost a reverence there. In a way, she epitomized what drove me. And, like, calm down. You knew her for, like, at tops, three hours. Yeah. 
probably less. And he's literally turned her into like his manic pixie dream girl. Right. So he brought the bodies back up to his room. He took pictures of them, had sex with the corpses, then dismembered them with an axe in the bathtub. He put the body parts in a bag, then disposed of these bags by throwing them in rural areas. He kept the heads, though, to engage in oral sex for a while. And that's the nicest way I can put it, I think. Like, I just don't get, like... There's a lot of logistics. I don't there, there are a lot of logistics in that that I don't understand. And the number one is, how long does a head keep for? I don't know, but he did say... Well, I don't know if he said this, but the book I read said once they started decomposing, he threw them into a ravine. Well, the bodies start decomposing, like, within a few hours. It's, like, 24, so I don't know. I don't know how long the head stays fresh. And he's not putting it in his refrigerator. (laughs) He's not putting it in his refrigerator like Jeffrey Dahmer was because he's got a roommate. He did this with a roommate. Wait, the heads, the bodies were in? No. I guess I didn't consider that. The bodies were in his closet, and he dismembered them in the bathtub while his roommate was at work. What the hell? It seems like a lot. Yeah. So there's just a lot going on. So he got rid of the heads, threw them into a ravine, and then he later admitted that sometimes afterwards I visited there to be near her because I loved her and wanted her. The ravine? Yes, where he threw her head. <laughs> wait, and- no, wait, what? <laughs> he go visit the ravine? No! he loved her so much. No, Bailey, wait, he loved Marianne. But didn't he dump her in a ravine? No, he didn't love the ravine. He loved Marianne so much he visited her head at saying. the ravine. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like he'd go to the ravine oh, because that's where Marianne was. The way, that, he, you, the way that I took that is that you thought he was in love with the ravine. And I was he like, no! Because that's where Marianne was. <laughs> he just really loves nature. <laughs> and they managed to like find... Marianne's head, but they still have never found Anita's head, which is really fucking sad. Probably a ravine. Probably a wolf or something. I don't know. Oh, God, Avery. Okay. Well, it's got to be, if you put it into a ravine, you have to, I'm surprised they found Marianne's. Honest. Well, they found hers a few days later, which is why. Oh, okay. So it was like recent enough. Okay, so four months later, Ed picks up Eiko Koo, who was hitchhiking to a dance performance because she missed her bus. She was 15 years old, so she wasn't a co-ed. She was a high school student, and she was, like, the youngest. she Asian? Yes. That's odd, because usually people, like, don't, serial killers not, like, usually stay within their, like, own racial background. Yeah, usually. And I think everybody else that he killed was white. Interesting. But then she missed her bus, and she got picked up by Ed Kemper, which was, like, the worst luck of all time. And he essentially did what he did with the first few girls, except this time he he drove her to a remote area, pulled the gun on her, but she was so hysterical, he put it away, and initially he told her that he was going to kill himself, and that she was not going to be killed unless she tried to run away. So he, with an IQ of 145, managed to lock himself out of his car, and she's in the car with the gun, and she lets him back in. What? Yes. Come on Half now. of me is like, honey. Oh my god. No. Why did you do that? But like, I don't know what he was telling her. He could have been telling her anything. And she was just like a scared 15-year-old baby. Like, so he gets back into the car, tapes her mouth shut, and blocks the airways from her nostrils by like plugging her nose shut until she's unconscious and then he strangles her. Um, he puts her in the trunk, went to have a few drinks at the bar. Then took her back to his apartment, had sex with her corpse, dismembered and disposed of her body in a similar fashion. Yeah. 
He kept her head in the trunk, and the next day he attended a psychiatric parole hearing where doctors recommended that his juvenile file be sealed and expunged. So as he's attending this hearing and talking to these psychiatrists about how well-rounded he is, he has a head in his trunk. And he gets out of this parole hearing, opens his trunk, looks at it, and he makes some kind of like note along the lines of like, I was smiling like a fisherman at his fish or something. Ugh. Like literally the worst. Aiku's mother like reports her daughter missing, but the cops blew her off as a runaway, which is like ugh, the most annoying thing about the 70s and 80s. That, yeah, there's like, not that, that many then, runaways. That's yeah. that you still had to wait 48 hours before a child. Yeah, you? and there was like no communication across state lines hardly about anything like this. It was just like she ran away with all like, the other kids. I just wonder if it was just like a thing of that time because can you name anyone that you know that ran away? No. No. It, I don't think it exists. Mm-mm. I think it pe- like cops thought it existed so that they like back could then could blow off work. Could not do anything. So they cops are just labeling all these kids as runaways until they find bodies. Like they're not even like trying to be preemptive about this. So so he buries the head in his mother's garden. This is like the first like trophy, like body part trophy he keeps, I guess. He buries her head in his mother's garden facing up to her bedroom window because his mother quote Always wanted people looking up to her. Okay. He thinks he's a comedian. Not even that. He thinks he's like a poet. Like, that's so (laughs) stupid. Okay, so another four months later, he picks up Cynthia Shaw. So she accepted a ride from Ed the same day he purchased a twenty-two caliber handgun. She was on her way to class when he picked her up. Same M.O. with her, driving her to a wooded area and shooting her. Only this time, he's living with his mom. So he takes the dead body back to his mom's house. And he, like, waits till nighttime, brings her up to his closet, sleeps with her in the closet overnight, and when his mom goes to work the next morning, takes her out and does, like, the same fucking thing. So he had sex with the body, removed the bullet, which is something he always did before, like, anything. He would get the bullets out because it was forensic evidence, and he knew this because he was friends with all these cops. Interesting. And then he, once again, engaged in oral sex, which is called irmuwa. I don't really know. I'm not I, honestly, I don't even really want to know that one. Exactly. No I don't. It's not that? something. I, yeah, there's a term for that. And it's not something I ever want to know. So I'm not going to repeat it. I'm just going to say he's engaging in oral sex. With a severed, severed head. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then he buries this one outside his window. Okay. One month later. Don't so they have neighbors? Like, yeah. They, it's apartment. You have to consider, like, if we went out back there and I tried to... Bury, bury a bring a corpse in from the street how i don't know i don't know how he like and like all these girls were petite but like not that petite that no one would notice them yeah well um, no like it would take me 15 minutes like even get out of the car dra- yeah, dra- yeah to d- even drag like a sandbag exactly i don't know how he's doing it i don't know how he's getting away with it and like people he lived in like an apartment block it wasn't like a house on a street by himself like yeah, that doesn't make any he had sense. neighbors. So one month later, all of these had kind of been like four months here, right. like in between. This is one month later. He gets in a really big fight with his mom, and he picks up Rosalind Thorpe at a bus stop outside a library at the University of Santa Cruz. So the university posts this warning, and it says, when possible, girls especially, stay in dorms after midnight with doors locked. If you must be out at night, walk in pairs. If you see a campus police patrol car and wave, they will give you a ride. Use the bus, even if somewhat inconvenient. Your safety is of first importance. 
It's funny how that's like a very same. similar message today. Same today. Yeah. Like it hasn't changed. They're saying like, if you are leaving campus, advise someone where you are going and where you can be reached in the approximate time of your return. Don't hitch a ride, please. It's the same thing today. Like we haven't changed in, what is this? Like 50 40 years? years now? Yeah. Like ridiculous. So he picks up Rosalind. It's raining. It's late. She had been studying late at the library and she doesn't know if she missed the last bus. So she's waiting to see if it's going to pull up. And he pulls up and he's like, hey, the last bus just went. Like, I know because I've missed it too. Do you want to ride? Well, and wait, why would he be taking the bus if he is in the car? Exactly. exactly. So he's really not thinking things through. But the thing is, he has a University of California Santa Cruz sticker on his car because that's where his mom works. So she trusts him. I wouldn't trust him. I know. <laughs> that changes nothing for yeah. me, actually. Yeah. yeah. I don't even think I'm getting to the car with, with a cop. No. <laughs> I'd be like... My friend, well, they didn't have cell phones back then, obviously, mm-hmm. but I'd call my friend and be like... Also, there's bus schedules at bus stops, yeah. is there not? I don't know. She just got in the car, and he drives down the block. He drives maybe two blocks, tops, and sees another girl standing on the side of the road. And he says, do you need a ride? And she sees the sticker, sees the other girl in the car, and feels safe because she's like, well, there's another college student, like, right. these are college kids. She gets in the back seat. So... He had the gun hidden on the floorboard by his feet. He had used his foot to scoot it up towards him, grabbed it, pulled it out, and shot Rosalind in the front seat first. And she slumped over to the passenger side window. And then he turns around to shoot the girl he picked up. I don't know if I said her name. Her name was Allison Liu. He picks her up. So I guess she was Asian too. Yeah. So he shoots at her, and he says she was like, so frantic and moving around he misses a few times he's shooting through her hands like she's trying to get out of this car like really fighting and it takes a few times and then um he got out of the car put both bodies in his trunk and it's the same thing brought them up to his room removed the bullets um shock of all shocks dismembered them uh used the dead bodies to get off and the next day he disposed of all the body parts including the heads so he didn't bury the heads this time and at this point police get notified that ed bought a gun and so, like, due to his juvenile record, he's prevented from legally owning a gun. Oh. So they come to confiscate the gun, and they walk up to him, and they say, hey, they tell him the story, like, we need to take your gun, whatever. And he gives them the gun. It's in the trunk of his car. And, like, luckily he had, luckily, he had cleaned it out. So the police, there was nothing there, but the police said they had such a weird reaction to him that when he opened the trunk, they both went to, like, their side pieces. Like, they were scared of him. And these are police officers who know of him. Know him, yeah. yeah. So, like, they have a weird vibe about him, but there's nothing in the trunk. So he gives them the gun. And when they leave, he gets paranoid that they know he's the co-ed killer. And that they're messing with him and trying to get rid of his weapons before they arrest him. So at this point, he thinks this is all coming to an end. So this is what he's working up to. The murder of his mother. It's April 20th, 1973. Ed walks into his mother's bedroom and tells her he's home. To which she replies... I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. And Emperor's like, nope, good night. And he's like pissed that his mom won't even have like a civil conversation with him. Like it just goes to a fight straight away. So he stays in his room until about 5 a.m. And then he enters his mother's room while she's sleeping and hits her in the head with a claw hammer, then slits her throat with a knife. So it's about so to get... She's like one of the most aggressive murders, right? Yes. And Besides for the first two girls, the other ones about, having guns. It's the most... Probably one of the most aggressive things I've ever read. Oh, wow. It's going to go from bad from worse. Bad to worse. So buckle up, Bailey. Oh, no. He decapitated her head, 
And you guessed it. No. Engaged. No. In oral sex with his mother. (laughs) (laughs) He then placed the head on the mantle and screamed at it for like an hour and a half. And then he used But he lives in an apartment. No one heard that? And he uses it as a dartboard. Oh my God. (laughs) He's literally just throwing darts at his mom's head. From there, he cuts out the larynx, like the vocal cords, and tries to shove them down the garbage disposal, but the vocal cords were too tough for the disposable Ew. for the disposal, yeah. so they came back up. Ew. And Ed later said that seemed appropriate, as much as she bitched at, bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. So then he shoved the body in the closet, went out for a few drinks with his cop buddies, and I find it interesting that he never got drunk enough to like let the persona slip, but also like let his real life shine through a little bit, right. because this is all just an act to the police officers, right? So at this point, he's paranoid that his mother's best friend's going to find out what he did. So he gets back from the bar and invites her over for dinner. And she shows up, and when she arrives, he strangles her. And then he spent the rest of the night with her dead body. I don't know what he did, if it was, like, sexual or, like, cuddling, but that's what he did. And in the morning... So if he, like, did that to her because, like, she, like, would know that his, that his mom was missing... Wouldn't she have, like, the same thing? Wouldn't yeah. she even have a job, too? So that's just going to go down this whole spiral. Exactly. And, like, you think you're going to get caught anyway. So why even bother killing her? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So he's just, I think he's just... Well, especially, like, he went out of her out of his way to get her exactly. there. Like, so it I wasn't wonder... like she was coming over for dinner that night, you know? It was like he invited her. Right. So he leaves a note for the police, and it reads, Approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this, quote, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. Three exclamation points. Grasky. Yeah. So he then takes Sally's car and drives east. He stops and... Uh, Sally's his Sally, mom's. Yeah, Sally's That's his mom's what? best friend. And he takes her car, drives to Pueblo, Colorado. And after days of not sleeping, I think he was on caffeine pills, like... He stops at a phone booth and confesses to killing his mother and Sally. He doesn't confess to being the colored killer at this point. And he's called, like, specifically the San Santa Cruz police station. And they're like, oh, Ed, stop teasing, ha, 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 ha. Like, they blow it off. And they get there, and it looked like a normal house, but then they found the bodies in the closet. And they were like, oh, shit. So they call Pueblo police, and they're like, uh, you need to get here immediately. Like, we have an issue. And so Pueblo police arrive and they ask him, they're like, you need to leave the phone booth. You need to exit the phone booth and put your hands up. And he's like, well, what do I do with the phone? And they're like, drop put, the it, phone. put it down. You yeah. and it's IQ of literally. <laughs> and he's like this entire time that they go search his house, call this Pueblo police. He's on the phone with them, talking to them and confessing what he did to his mother and Sally. The police officers are driving him from Colorado back to California. And he would stay in local police stations along the way and eat at local diners. And during one of these lunches, two women walked by the car, which caused Ed to vomit, which he said was a response he'd often had to an attractive woman. Okay, but imagine, hold on, you're walking by a car. You're just like minding your own business. You look inside, this guy makes eye contact with you. And visibly pukes. <laughs> Imagine what that does to your self-esteem for that day. I could be like in my best outfit and I'd be like, wow, I look really good. And then some guy 
who has severe mental problems throws up in your face yeah. because of what you look like <laughs> and, you and don't who know. you are. You yeah. don't know it's because you're attractive. No. <laughs> no. Like... Best case scenario, you're like, oh, yeah, he's throwing up because he got car sick or, or yeah. drunk. <laughs> <laughs> not that right at me. Yeah. So <laughs> not that he's throwing up because I'm hot, you know. Yeah, I've never just like looked at something and thrown up. On the way back, he confesses to being the co-ed killer. So then once he gets back to California, Ed's taking police around to his like various dump- dumping grounds and the location of the murders, and everything was in a 20-mile radius of his mother's apartment. Whoa. Yeah. You have to think 10 years prior, lazy retirement community. But at the time that he was active, there were two other serial killers active in this city. In Santa Cruz? Yes. There was, real quick, Herbert Mullen, and he was killing because he thought doing so would prevent earthquakes, which I guess is kind of nice, but also not very. Technically, we don't know if he did that correctly. What if there were supposed to be more earthquakes? We don't know. Yeah. What if if he actually (laughs) was right? (laughs) So he killed 13 people, ranging from four oh, to 72. Oh, okay. Well, I wish you had said that before. I Mostly that men. <laughs> he was caught in 73, which was the same year Ed was caught or turned himself in. Um, and at the time, the police thought it was him that was committing all these murders. They thought it was the same murders. Okay. So May 7th, 1973. This is exactly one year after he first killed the first two co-eds. Very Which is poetic, I guess. He was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder. Um, He was assigned an attorney because he had confessed his only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. So at this point, California had abolished the death penalty. He wasn't going to get it regardless, but I think they wanted to send him to a state hospital rather than jail. Right. While in custody, Ed attempted suicide twice, slashing his wrists with a ballpoint pen. He was found legally sane by three different court-appointed psychiatrists. While being interviewed by one of the psychiatrists, Ed admitted to being a cannibal, saying that he sliced the flesh from the legs of his victims and used it in a casserole. Mm. <laughs> but after the psychiatrist labeled him sane, he recanted and said he never did it. And I don't know if there's any evidence that he ever did. Yeah. But I mean, he said it and then he took it back. So I don't know if maybe he did it and was ashamed of it. He did it because he thought he would get the insanity. Yeah. Pleaded. Yeah, probably. So during the trial, he showed visible remorse when the fathers of Marianne and Anita took the stand and testified about the loss of their daughters, which I find interesting that it was the fathers he felt sad for, almost rather than the girls. And I think it probably has something to do with the fact that he's seeing paternal figures showing real loss and not having their children around because his father didn't really seem to care at all when he left. Right. The trial only lasted three weeks, and after five hours, the jury, comprised of six men and six women, declared Ed guilty on all counts, and he was sentenced to seven years to life for each count. Is he still alive? Yes. And he said he wasn't surprised by the outcome of the trial at all. Well, no, he literally... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he literally... He's like, he was yeah, a smart guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he made the right choice. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you know what? You guys are right. Good call, guys. Good call. <laughs> so, Kemper is still alive. He is considered a model prisoner and has spent over 5,000 hours recording audiobooks for the blind. So there's a lot of audiobooks out there that Ed Kemper recorded. Wait, what the hell? You can listen to Ed Kemper read you all kinds of books. Hundreds. He did like Flowers in the Attic. Okay, well, all that story right there, (laughs) absolutely not. He needs to be able to read like... Dr. Seuss. Nope, that's worse. 
No, no, no. He needs to be able to read like managing investment portfolios, volume <laughs> one. Like or Tequila for dummies. Yeah. Or like Windows ten for dummies. <laughs> you know, like he should just like, do what? the Windows. He should just do Windows. the whole for dummies line. <laughs> And he spent a lot of time making ceramic mugs. I wonder how much one one of his mugs are. Yeah, he gave one to one of his adult psychiatrists. Can you buy them? I have no idea. It's like a like a Gacy painting. Like, could you buy it? Probably. Is it worth five thousand dollars? Probably. Either way, Gacy did paintings. I didn't know. Oh my god, he did paintings. I want one so bad, but then I think it might be haunted. Oh, it's a hundred percent haunted. It's not worth it. After photographer Joey Tranchina asked. How does it make you feel that people come from all over the world to interview you? Ed responded, how do you think you'd feel if people came all over the world to speak to you and all they ever wanted to talk about was the 10 worst things you ever did in your life? Actually, that's actually a good point. Yeah. yeah it made me think. I was but like, like oh. what else did he do? Yeah, I'm not going to ask you your favorite color. Probably red for blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense because I don't even know. Like, like, what was his job other than drive hitchhikers around yeah. and kill them. And like he he wants company but he doesn't want to talk about the reason you know he's there. People want to be in his company. They right. want to know more about him because they're interested and they think he's you know someone to study. It's not right. like they're there to be his friends or there to study him and learn from him. Yeah. So Ed was denied parole in 79, 80 and 81 and then again in 82. He waived his right for parole in 85, was denied again in 88, 91 in 94 waived his right again in 97 in 2002 then he was denied again in 07 12 and 17 and he's up again in 2024 where i imagine he'll be denied again right i think he'll be there for the rest of his life yeah. it depends how also how old he is like if he's like in a wheelchair and like he's born senile. In 48 he's like 71 now maybe okay so that's Ed Kemper. All right, now we're going to do potential killer our potential killers segment. Basically, every week we're going to feature messages that we receive from our friends and fans, if we ever get any, and um, that they have received on Tinder, Tumblr, yeah, dating apps, and the social media. Social media, yeah, the weirdest messages that they've received from men or women. I'm reading this. No, you have to open it's, your phone. I don't have a password. Gotcha. Because I am a potential serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our first message is from our friend, Haley. Hi, Haley. Hi, Haley. Hi, Haley. <laughs> this guy is 25 and is from Independence. Not sure if it's Kansas or Missouri. Hey there. I'm going to start off with an intense icebreaker. Feel free to decline immediately. I just feel it's important I get my interests across right away so I don't end up wasting your time building up something that could slash couldn't be. Anyway, <laughs> I forgot. Anyways, would you be interested in possibly locking me in a chastity cage? It does take a controlling or dominant woman to do, but if you fit the role, I am sure we can make it worth it. That was at 10.45 a.m. A.m.? 10.45 a.m. That man was probably at work. Ew, can you imagine? Chastity cage? <laughs> isn't it a what? belt? That, isn't What's that what you don't? Is where you don't? What's a chastity cage? Chastity belt is where, is like in the olden times. Yeah. It, like, olden. The times of yore. <laughs> yes. Like Game of Thrones era or like. Okay. Yeah. Like I don't know. Olden days, no Wi-Fi. So <laughs> like a chastity belt would be like they would put like this cage type thing around yeah, like, it was women's like, genitals so that way and then it was locked. 
And uh, you didn't have the key. But was yeah, it common then, for men to also participate? No. So I actually I have no idea. Happened. This guy like but looks normal. But once you yeah. got married, you gave your husband the you're key, doing it on my phone? and then the husband unlocks, and then like you're supposed to get it on, whether do you, you like have, it or not. You don't have the key. How no. long do you keep it on? I think from when you start <laughs> puberty until you get married. I just searched then, chastity like, cages and www.lockthecock just oh came up. God. This but is also, my phone. Like, back, but way back when, women were... This is not what I thought it was. Is that a chastity cage? That's a chastity belt then. For men. Is what we're thinking where it's like yeah. the underwear. A chastity cage just goes over the... With male genitalia. Yes. I thought... I was picturing like a kennel. <laughs> a kennel? <laughs> Okay, so thank you, Haley, for your submission. Bailey conveniently has a couple good ones, maybe just one. What's your first one? My first one, I posted a selfie from October 2018. It goes, hi, you are lovely. I was wondering if you might be interested in doing a Skype call sometime. Would PayPal or an Amazon card be okay for payment? I know you're not a cam girl and you're not running a porn site, but I just thought I would ask. It'd be way casual. Also, I wouldn't have my camera on, so don't worry about seeing me. Wait, but that's what I... What? If you're interested or have any, qu- have any questions, let me know. Did you let her know? This is a woman. <laughs> okay. XOXO gossip girl. <laughs> Wait, but I would, I would want the camera on, right? Because you could be getting catfish. Yeah. I don't know at this point that it matters. But it's like they want to see me, but I wouldn't see them. Is that going to make, theoretically, would that make you more comfortable or less comfortable? Why an Amazon gift card? <laughs> because not everyone can afford Prime. I'd be like, make it, make it home goods. We'll talk. <laughs> I'm kidding. Chipotle. Yeah. Oh, God. You're like, done and done. <laughs> September 2017, I post another selfie, and I get from, <laughs> their username is a future orthopedic surgeon. Oh, okay, well, you just put them on blast. Sorry, future <laughs> orthopedic surgeon. And they go, hello there. Do you like a- answering non-safe for work questions? And I'm like, I've never been asked one before. Well, okay, you opened yourself up for a slam dunk right there. <laughs> and he goes, why not? Okay, first, when did you lose your anal virginity? That was his first. first. His number one. His he number. He could have eased into it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ask, like... Anything else? <laughs> I don't know if that qualifies as serial killer. I think it just qualifies as creepy dude. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely potential. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to our first episode. Thank you, Bailey, for being on it. Of course. Thanks for the alcohol. No problem. We appreciate our fans. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We forced to download this episode at the office. <laughs> yeah, we are sorry in advance. Thanks, Brian. guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>